I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Escape to Victory, the 40th anniversary, with Johnny Owen and Mark Webster on TalkSport. Forty years ago, an iconic football film was released. You might argue, Johnny, it got off to something of a rocky start. Hey, hey I see what you've done Thank there, Marco. You. But as the decades have rolled by, it's become a genuine cult classic. I'm Johnny Owen. And I'm Mark Webster. And over the next hour, here on TalkSport, we're celebrating the timeless John Houston football war movie, Escape to Victory. I understand you are now a movie star, Pele. You made a picture, right? Yeah, so we made a picture in, in Budapest. So this football game, in a sense, is a war within a war, a battle of man's dignity against the oppressive Nazi regime. Every time we spoke to a studio or anybody, nobody knew what we were talking about. I had two lines and I was dubbed. It could have been a disaster, but it isn't, is it? Absolute gem. That is, of course, Tainted Love by Soft Cell, which was the new number one when Escape to Victory premiered in the UK in the summer of 1981. And did you know, Mark? Go on. I went to the Scala, the grandly named Scala in Merthyr Tidville with my grandfather. Sounds impressive. I begged him to take me. I'd seen a, a big splash on this film in the Daily Mirror. And I said, I want to go and see this film. <laughs> and apparently I said to him, it's like a football great escape. That's how I described it. And I like the fact about this as well, that much like... The song that we've just heard, that you well know, is also a Northern Soul classic. In this original form by Gloria Jones, this Escape to Victory film is also a remake itself, isn't it? It is indeed. 1961, Two Halves in Hell, which told the story on the big screen of a football match played between Allied forces, prisoners and guards in a World War II prisoner of war camp. And I suppose in Hungary it may have remained if it wasn't for a savvy young film producer and uh, this man by the way John had uh, worked his way across Europe releasing different kinds of films but he wanted to make his name in Hollywood. And he was a football fan wasn't he of course? He was indeed. He was also head of Calco Pictures his name was Mario Casar who picks up the story. My partner and I we liked the idea and we started thinking okay how about we put this actor and this actor and we go to real football player and Pelé and this and that it started getting really going in a way the way I liked it. And then all of a sudden we hit the wall because every time we spoke to a studio or anybody, nobody knew what we were talking about. Movie audience 
they're, they're not into soccer here. Now they are, but they, in those years, they were not. And they, in those days, we, we were not yet public company. We didn't have the finance to do it ourselves. So we were, and it was hard to find, uh, raise money on something where the U.S. distributor wouldn't even touch something like that. So at the end of the day, the, we, the, we knew this guy. He was a good friend, uh, Ted Feeds. He was an agent that became, he's a big producer in those days. He, he had a French woman who was a, a partner with him when she heard about it because she was French, so she knew about soccer. She told him, you know, this project is great. And he got involved and because of his name and his affiliation to the studios, where he got it financed by the studio. And that's how he got made. If not, I don't think we could have made it. When they got Sly, I mean, he was a French, so Salon was on board. I think the film is very very unique it has a uh, refreshing vitality to it it's something that hasn't been done in a long time i think it translates into many languages and then again it also shows indomitable spirit of men under adverse conditions then once you get slide then you get michael kane when you get michael kane then you get this and you get Pele, and you get everybody so mark let's get this right this was a real life incident in the second world war yes they made a film in hungary about this right and this is a film that's based on the film that was made in hungary on the real life incident in the war correct starring rambo who isn't a real life person never was in the first place but he's sylvester stallone <laughs> and the important thing about him is he is as we he gets it across the line because he's well, he's got that much, as it were, punchy power at the time, isn't he? He's probably one of the biggest stars, if not the biggest star in the world. Yeah. And he's what we call in the profession, Mark, a green light actor. <laughs> and what that means is if you get a Sylvester Stallone, you usually get a Michael Caine. And once you've got Michael Caine, you've got your movie because you've got your funding and everything falls into place. Falls into place. He gets his name effectively above the headline. Which is a remarkable thing because what is an American doing wanting to be in a film about a football team playing in Nazi-occupied Europe? Well, of course, we are, I suppose the context would be around then by that time John the MLS has kind of become a bit of a thing in the New York cosmos and mm -hmm. lest we forget famous photographicals of Bobby Moore and Pele hugging in 1970 yes but also big friends when they both turned out on the pitches in the US as well weren't they it was starting to get a little bit rock and roll wasn't it football in the States at that time and what's Remarkable, Mark, is they've got one of the great 20th century directors, John Houston, to direct this film. You know, the man behind the Maltese Falcon, African Queen, and also a film a bit like Escape to Victory, The Man That Would Be King, yeah. that came out to lukewarm reviews and is now considered a bona fide classic. I mean, how does a man like this end up directing a film with a bunch of footballers? But the fact that he wanted to tell this story is is the credibility that you're looking for. John Houston about as Hollywood as life gets. Yes. And when you think about it as well, at least a couple of those jobs that you mentioned, he worked with Humphrey Bogart. He did. So it's not like we're talking about a fella who, for whom a star is not a big deal. He knows his way around top talent. If you work with Bogart, you can work with Stallone. And then you go on from there. And, of course, knows Michael Caine very well. That's right. From yeah. uh, The Man Who Would Be King. So the, the, that connection is tight in there as well. So... That's how the star power was convinced. But what about the footballers? Was it hard to get them involved? We asked Mario. Not really. You know, it was only logistic. The timing that you can get them all at the same time in the same place and this and that. But, well, you know, all the football players are like, are like stars. You know, they're like actors. They don't mind being in a movie. You know, everybody likes to be in front of the camera. So, no, it wasn't. It was only logistically difficult because one is in Brazil, one is in the UK, one is here, one is there. And you have to put them in a schedule that fits everybody. Ah, oh, Johnny, you know exactly what our Mario's gone through there, don't you? Because, of course, in, in your life as that documentary filmmaker, I mean, three, three films working with actual footballers and people from it within the game. Yes. Do they take much encouraging to get in front of a camera? 
Not really. Uh, I think Mario's got a great point there. Uh, there's a lot of parallels between a footballer's life and an actor's life. Very disciplined, top of the game, yeah. performing, used to being on a big stage, used to pressure. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can work with. What I find is really interesting, the chats media often have, I think especially you now the modern footballer is the modern film star or the modern rock star. I think They bring society, that fame with them, don't absolutely, they? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. They're huge. And this was the early days of it. I mean, Pele was a worldwide renowned superstar. I mean, a man that would often be voted in the top 10 uh, sportsmen in the world in America. Yeah. Which is an extraordinary thing for that, you know. What I mean, so I think uh, it's very interesting hearing him talk about saying how much the footballers enjoyed the filming process. So Sylvester Stallone, we know he he knew how to use his hands in about six different Rocky films. <laughs> what do you reckon about him as a goalie? Well, it's very interesting actually because uh, of all the the positions to play, I would probably say the goalkeeper is the one which you can get away with. We do often have this conversation, uh, you and I, that in drama, in film drama sport film drama football is the most difficult to portray footballers move like nobody else uh, they look like nobody else uh, and I think using footballers was very very clever uh, but we, we laugh but uh, what must it been like for Sylvester Stallone learning how to play a new sport imagine in front of the best of the world well here he is talking about the process it was a position that I think is the only one that I could have somewhat portrayed with a little bit of authenticity because I don't know if I could have learn to be any sort of striker or whatever but learning the position in front of people like Bobby Moore and Mike Somerby and uh, Pelé and Ardiles is kind of intimidating it's not exactly you're yeah. starting out with yeah. a, with a uh, junior varsity team you're just dealing with the best right. in the world so there's always that kind of intimidation and in boxing I spent many many months preparing but I always did it in private I never was under the scrutiny of the best in the world it's like having the first sparring partner is Muhammad Ali. It's a little much to start off with, but I appreciate all. They they helped me so much. That's a lovely analogy. Love it. Um, sort of learning to be the goalkeeper in front of players like Pele. It was like learning to box by sparring Muhammad Ali. It's, I mean, pick your icon, Ali, Pele. <laughs> it, it really doesn't matter. But of course, the great thing about it is, is that's exactly what he did. But he did turn to the best, though, John, for he advice. Did. Talk about picking icons, Mark. I teach you how to do the craft you want to learn. He picked Gordon Banks. Yeah, that'll do, yeah. Which is brilliant. I mean, I do know that uh, Stallone uh, researched religiously his films. and In the early rock, he filmed everything that he did uh, in sparring and, and preparing for the film. I would imagine going to Banks and doing the same for this would have been part of the process for him. And fair play to him, because I love the idea in the film that, and I bought it as a kid, was because he's American and he plays American football and they handle it, he would naturally be better by going in goals yes. and handling, handling the ball. So it was a nice nice way of tying up the script so that you'd believe it. Just nice not to see him run the length of the pitch and scream touchdown, wasn't it? At least we kept the authenticity <laughs> going there. Now let's hear more from the stars of the film. Here, in fact, is Stallone again, talking alongside Pele at halftime of that incredible American 1980 soccer bowl. I was so ignorant about this game up until I met Pele about... Uh, <laughs> 18 weeks ago. Would you tell me that's, uh, tell us that story you told oh, me the other day about the oh, first time you oh met God. him? My manager was saying, once I went, I was playing uh, a charity game against the Philadelphia Phillies, and they said, how many times do you think a pitcher could throw to you and you'd never hit the ball? I said, well, a pitcher like Steve Collin would throw a thousand balls to you and you wouldn't hit one. Well, I always kept that in the back of my mind. Then when I met Pelé, I said, how many times do you think Pelé could kick a, a penalty shot and get it in? He goes, out of a thousand times, you'd probably get about 2,000 shots in. I said, well, when he came there, I said, okay, I'll, I'll challenge him. So he came out on the field. And it was a really rough pitch. It was sandy and all that. And he wasn't used to these heavy metal World War II boots that we were using at that time. So I'm standing in the goal. My knees are knocking and all that. But I'm trying to put up a front and all that because I have a little money on the line. 
So he kicks the ball, the first one goes over the net, then he gets a bead on me, he kicks the second one, and crumbs right past my hands, whips past the net, over the bar, hits, and behind me is this building. It's like a World War II prisoner of war barracks, and it's heavy metal mesh, I mean thick, the kind of things that would hold back a truck. Smashes through the mesh, rips through the windows, breaks out all the frames, goes into the house, and I said, that could have been my face. I mean, that could have been my jaw, my chest, my arm. I said, from then on, I said, thank you very much. It's all yours. See you around. <laughs> see you around. But he's kicking, happy yeah. motoring. The people are going to be very surprised because you're going to see the film. He become a good player. Marvelous stuff. Uh, and marching bands as well, John. That's the way it should be. I mean, I love it. It's called the 1980 Soccer Bowl. Quite, quite right. Soccer yeah. Bowl. I mean, but what you, I found there, Mark, and I love listening to that, is a man really enjoying what he's doing, isn't he? You get that real sense, don't you? And and the fact, as you say, he, he has patently spent his entire life looking at sportsmen as being something that he wants to live up to. That's right. And it happened in boxing, and he's, and he's alongside Pelé, yep. as he probably says it so much more lyrically than we do, yep. and uh, enjoyed every second of it. Great to hear. Come on, don't be afraid of me. Oh, yeah, what? What, what, what? Back. Oh, right there, come on, yeah. Can you do it with your mouth shut, hey? The mouth and the hand work together, it's a team. Coming up next on this special programme here on TalkSport in the 40th anniversary of Escape to Victory, you'll hear stories from the film set, including a certain karaoke session, Mark, with none other than Pele. We'd come along with his manager sometimes and bring his uh, guitar and have a little sing-song and a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label between them. <laughs> to victory the 40th anniversary i'm johnny owen and i'm mark webster and we're reflecting on one of the greatest football films ever which cast hollywood stars michael kane sylvester stallone and max von sido sido mark i would go with sido because okay. of course the great thing about this man he was the assassin in three days of the condor among many other great things Oof. and he's alongside football gods pele bobby moore and ozzy ardiles give me this good i have to give me ball here I do this, 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 go. So one of the best things about this film was not only does it have the likes of Stallone and Pele in it, but it also required some proper British football players. And who better to ask than the 1981 UEFA Cup winning Ipswich Town side managed by the one and only Sir Bobby Robson. An incredible footballing team to say the least and some great characters to go with it. But how on earth did they get involved in a film with Michael Caine in it? I'm so glad they got you to say Michael Caine. Say it again. I did it well, didn't I? Maurice Micklewhite for the elephants. <laughs> well, here is a man who scored 36 goals for Ipswich that season, John Walk to tell us how it all materialised. Well, basically it came about with a chap in the movie business knew Sir Bobby Robson and just turned up at the ground one day, walked in and American he was. And he says, I'm making this movie and uh, I'm looking for some soccer players. MD interested? And five of us put our hand up because we weren't going on holiday that summer. So the next thing, we're out in Budapest, Hungary, in the summer, five weeks, we get out there and this, we're in this movie, and it's suddenly you you realise who's in it. You've got Michael Caine, you know, Stallone, Pelly, Bobby Moore, all the best footballers in different countries. It was just an incredible experience. Now, what I love about that, Mark, is Bobby Robson knows somebody in the film industry. No. Of course he does. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> I, 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 he's saying that. The most football man you've ever seen. I mean, you know, go to Spain. Everyone knows Bobby Robson, of course, doesn't yes. they? What, what a hero he was there as well. 
someone in the film industry. What a great team Ipswich were at that time as well. One of the top teams in Europe, not just the country. You look at one UEFA Cup, uh, almost won the title. A great manager. But my favourite bit is in these days of uh, preparation and diets and fitness plans in the summer they don't have a break no. they go over to Budapest and of course they do in. brilliant let's hear from another member of the cast now legendary centre back Russell Osmond was equally as excited to be part of the film but did have one issue mark with the role that quite a few men of that era would empathise with one of the first shocks of uh, going out there to do Escape to Victory was having to have all my hair cut off it was um a little bit similar to it is now, sort of rather long, a bit of a mullet, and uh, that had to go. I love that because it's really important when well, you watch Peter, films that Peter era. All of them as well. Yes. All of that, too. that era, long hair was just fashionable amongst men. Yeah. And when you watch lots of films from that period, <laughs> lots of people sort of like either clip their hair up or sweep it back. And it just doesn't look like the 40s, does Basically, it? Basically, it's some kind it, The hair gel business was in its pump because yes. back, the, all they did was swept back very long <laughs> hair. Now, let's hear from Ipswich keeper Laurie Civil and winger Kevin O'Callaghan, his hair's pretty good. Yes. Who also had key parts in the film. My first day there, I'm set, I mean, I'm, I was born in East End. So I, I was obviously a West, not a West End supporter, but Bobby Moore was everyone's idol. First day I'm sat there with Bobby Moore one side and Pele on the other side. You know, it was just, and I'm an 18-year-old kid, and it was just like surreal. Do you remember also they took us into this room and there was all these old cinematographers telling us all the stories of the great stars and, and their, <laughs> what they used to get up to in, in the 40s and 50s, like Marilyn Monroe, and he, he was relating all these stories in this little room. And that was brilliant. Great to hear like sort of players talking about legendary footballers and legendary actors. You know, you can just you still hear his excitement of being involved in the process. Now it wasn't just Ipswich UEFA Cup winners who were involved, however. No, Manchester City legend Mike Summerby mm. also had a role, and he was brought in by his mate. Bobby Moore phoned me up and uh, he said, do you fancy being in a movie? I said, go on. And I was thinking it was a small documentary, so not knowing I was going to be away for eight weeks. And we ended, we ended up on the plane, uh, flying to Budapest, and we had a few glasses of wine at the back there, and we were on the way. But then we, And then as the plane stopped, it came over on the microphone, would you mind staying in your seats, please, a few minutes? So we did, and I looked out the window, who's getting out in the first class? Pele, me and Moro, was in the back there. It's such an exciting thing for me as a West Ham fan because, of course, you know, 15 years earlier, 66, yeah. and going on a couple of years after that, arguably the most famous man in the country, Bobby Moore, captain of his country, World Cup winning side. But sadly, by this time in the 80s, things aren't going so well for Bobby, are they? And, uh, you know, he, he hasn't had the career in football that you'd hope. But at least he's being treated with that kind of same yes. respect, reverence. That he, exactly, that's the right word that you, that you'd hope will be attached to him for for his career. Bobby Moore just needed to live another five, ten years to really find out how loved he was right. and where he existed in the pantheon of, of, of British sport, English sport especially. Uh, and it's a bit of a shame, really, because now Bobby Moore live would be fated wherever he went. But it was just that period, you know, which is really interesting and why he was available when he just it didn't hadn't work for him in football. And I'm glad now because here he is in the film. Exactly. I, and what I always love about this film, and this is something we always talk about, Michael Caine plays him. He plays Bobby Moore in the yeah. film, doesn't he? Which is yeah. beautiful. And that, Because they basically were the two great blonde-headed 60s icons yes. together yes. at the same time. So it's quite right that they were paired again in this. I agree. It's a beautiful thing. Right, we've heard about how everybody came together for the film, but how did this eclectic collection of people get along? We asked former Manchester City forward Mike Summerby. There was no... 
stars, they were all stars, you know, footballers as well. Everything was perfect. I remember there was one trip we were filming on the railway station to go on the train. Once that was finished, the afternoon was off, and I know that uh, Michael Caine and that were all flying to Paris for a weekend. And the thing is, before we started filming the last bit, five or six of the footballers, we went round the corner and found a bar. So we're in this bar, we're having a few drinks in there. Stallone and everybody was hanging around there waiting for the time because they were missing their plane out. You know, we were all in the bar having a few drinks. And then we came round the corner and they were going, well, wait. They, they weren't giving us a rollicking, they were just having a bit of fun. The thing was, yeah, the footballers wanted to be actors and the actors wanted to be footballers. <laughs> it makes sense. It does. The age-old thing, what's the great line, Mark? Everybody says, every film star wants to be a pop star and every pop star wants to be a film star. Exactly. And it's a similar thing. Same here, principle, Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Although, I did know that every footballer wanted to be a tailor, which, <laughs> is, which also comes out uh, in the conversation with Mike Summerby because, now, of course, famously, he was, fashion was a big thing. Had, a, bo- and, had a boutique in Manchester with his great friend, Georgie Best. And and he t- during the course of the interview, he did remind me of the fact that um, he doesn't recall selling an item of clothing but lots of girls turned up <laughs> to see George. But he did, because he went into that kind of range, was making bespoke shirts yes. and carried on doing it for the cast. He became Michael Caine's personal shirtier down, down the years as well. Perfect, isn't it? Well, that's not a bad thing to be known as, because there's a man with a certain sartorial style now. Yeah, exactly. Michael Caine. Carried off. And Carried another off. interesting aspect about this film's creation, Mark, was when filming the football scenes, how do you tell the best players in the world what to do on the pitch? Here's Ipswich Town defender and cast member Russell Osman. Yeah, we had a, a couple of issues with that because originally there was a, an American director who was going to cover the football shots. And I think he wanted about 20 cameras all dotted around the stadium. And people like Bobby Moore, Mike Summerby, Pelé, they had a feeling that he wasn't going to work with this fella. He didn't understand football at all. So they had a meeting with John Houston. They basically took control of it then and said, listen, you know, we'll play football the way... You, we think it should be played. You just take as much footage as you like and we'll make sure that it all gets edited. It was after that first discussion with the American director that you realised, no. <laughs> An American trying to tell you how to play football. But what's interesting, Mark, is we've been talking about this, haven't we? Uh, recently in commentary, I've been picking up people using terms like quarterback and receiver. So yeah. maybe they were ahead of their time. Double teaming. <laughs> come on, come on, lads. We've, we've got our own lexicon. Let's use it. I know theirs is good, but that's for that's for their world as well. Mind you, Russell also wasn't just good on the field. He was also pretty good at the apres ski. Tells us what, what happened when the cameras weren't running. Most lunch times uh, during the days that we were doing the filming of the football, if there's a break in, uh, in the filming, you could guarantee that within... 20 minutes, there'd be a game of uh, Piggy in the middle going on, you know, and you didn't want to get stuck in the middle there with, with people like Kazi, Kazimir Dana and Pele and Ardelia's taking the mickey out of you. You could be in there for a long time. Well, that's centre-half, yeah. so up against, the, <laughs> up against the pretty boys. I was thinking that you're, you're the centre-half, you're in the middle of that circle, and you've got Kazi Adema and Ozzy Ardelia's <laughs> flicking the ball over your head. Oh, it's going to be a long lunchtime. What's great there, though, Marcus, is clearly a lot of football was played throughout the film. It's a football film, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I'm interested to know, what else did these guys get up to? Just hang out. We'd go and eat. We'd go out to different restaurants in the evening. Sometimes there'd be a dozen of you. Sometimes it might be six in one place, six in another. Pelly would come along with his manager sometimes and bring his uh, guitar and have a little sing-song and a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label between them. Do you know, I asked... <laughs> this was the stupid thing that I did. Uh, it was in covers. Kevin O'Callaghan told me the same similar story as well how that he was being serenaded by Pele on his acoustic guitar. I said to Russell, well, you know, 
What sort of songs did he play? So you don't expect me to remember, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I like to some Dylan songs. I, I, I wonder. I mean, there is. If you and you can go out and find it, there is. Uh, uh, it's a very rare, but it is available. There's a Pele documentary, and all the music is by the great Brazilian Sergio Mendes, oh, the King of Bossa Nova. Yes. So I just got in my head he's doing Masconada or something yeah, like that. I hope yeah. so. Rather than some do like Agadu. It's yeah. like he was in the room, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it sounds like everybody got on very, very well on Do you set. Reckon? Yeah. But there was also going to be some alpha moments, as they say. Uh, Russell gave us a prime example of this. Somehow Sly ended up with Kevin Beatty one day wanting to, to arm wrestle him. So no problem. And Stallone stuck his right hand out and so got on the table. And Kevin Beatty, you know, finally took him down quite comfortably with that. And then Sly thought, well, we'll go left-handed as well. Not realising that Kevin Beatty was left-handed. You know, and that one was just a quick bang, you know, left uh, Stallone going off in a bit of a huff. <laughs> See, I love that. Well, that's that's a little win for yes. us, I feel, don't you? Because well, Stallone did sulk a bit about he it. Apparently did, yeah. Well, he made a film later about arm wrestling, didn't he? He did, didn't um, he? But obviously he didn't get like, Kevin Beatty no, involved, I'm sure. He should have, um, but Kevin Beatty, is, is, that's a name I you, you hear from old footballers saying what a player he was. He was kind of like, having watched him, he, you know, he kind of wore the six as well, And yeah. but he was like a new breed of footballer. He was super fit athlete, and in fact, kind of most memorable from Escape to Victory as being dear old Michael Caine's legs much of the time, because uh, dear old Michael Caine was a slightly older Michael Caine by then. And, and listen, you forgive Michael Caine now, because he is one of the greatest actors ever. He so was. you're fine. I'm, I'm like, that's okay. You it's... may look like a middle-aged ex-footballer. I don't care. Well, he was, to yes. be fair, but apart from the footballing playing. bit. So he, he did, a, did a fine there job. Coming up next on this special programme here on TalkSport in the 40th anniversary of Escape to Victory, how does a certain TalkSport and Ipswich legend feel after turning down the film all those years ago? We will hear, of course, from Mick Mills. Holy <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Holy kidding. Alan Brazil. I want to go back and see Joe, because I've been away for about three weeks. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. listening to Escape to Victory, the 40th anniversary. I'm Johnny Owen. And I'm Mark Webster. And here on TalkSport, we're celebrating an iconic football war film starring Michael Caine, Sylvester Stallone, alongside football legends Pele, Bobby Moore, Mike Summerby, Ozzy Ardiles and a bunch of Ipswich Town players. Yes, indeed, Johnny. It was an impressive bunch. And in fact, if you take a closer look at the film in which all of these fellas do their thing, there's some celebrated scenes as well, wasn't there? Some really famous scenes. I remember for a good six months, year after, everybody on my playground went, give me the ball, I do these, yes. these, <laughs> these, these, which is a great True. moment where Pele talks about tactics to Michael Caine. But what's lovely about that scene when you watch it back now is Michael Caine is doing this very British thing of going, get the ball in, get it into the area. <laughs> exactly. exactly, as we still talk it's about like football It's we never now. won the World Cup in 1966. <laughs> but of course we hadn't, Johnny. No, it was you... too early. Exactly, so exactly. perfect sense. There's some of the great scenes. Obviously, there's the, the very famous ending the victoire where the yeah. crowd invades the pitch and there's some questionable costume choices it's almost like they'd, they'd obviously run out of giving out sort of um, military 40s gear period kit and just gone yeah. wear your cagoules wear your flares and your yeah. Adidas trainers and invade the pitch it doesn't matter anymore of course there is one scene no one forgets the Pele overhead kick former Ipswich player Kevin O'Callaghan tells us about his pivotal role in that iconic scene so my claim to fame is they had a track, you know, with a camera on it. Well, I was behind the camera. I was the one that pinged the ball out to Bobby Moore. Straight on his chest, the best ball I've ever struck in my life. And honestly, I don't think Laurie remembers this. He, Pele, if you watch the film, and I'm sure you will now, I, I mention this, you watch the overhead kick. He does the overhead kick and Laurie dives after the ball hits the back of the net. You watch the film. Do you know what? I, the overhead kick is so famous and became so famous, but I've seen so many lads winded in the school play yard trying that. Because if you didn't get it right, Mark, you were in trouble, well, weren't you? You're going to land on basically all your inner organs are <laughs> get passed around <laughs> all over the place. But it, what, obviously, Pele is the man. And what I love about that idea as well, because yes. obviously... Laurie Civil ends up in the wrong goal in the film because of he looks more like he's going to be playing for the, the, the Waldens than he does for the other team. So I'm wondering if he just dived underneath it anyway. <laughs> I like to think so. But what an iconic scene. Uh, and, and who else better to do that overhead kick than the greatest footballer that ever lived? Yeah, made it look natural. There is, of course, though, another moment which I think everybody thinks about and winces about at the same time. But I won't describe it. I'm going to turn to one of our great colleagues and real nerds about this film, Danny Kelly, who fills us in. Let's put ourselves into that place, you and your mates sitting in a pub and the, and the subject of the film comes up. I guarantee there comes a moment when everyone uh, looks, looks down from their drink and goes, what about Kevin O'Callaghan's arm? 
I mean, the whole fact is that uh, every one of us has thought two things about that scene. It's the scene where they decide Stallone has to be the goalkeeper. It's the only way it will work. So they have to make sure that the actual goalkeeper, who was Ipswich winger Kevin O'Callaghan um, in the film, um, he has to be injured. And so they decide to break his arm. Everybody I know will have thought the same two things. One, what does it feel like to be the person who's doing the arm breaking, Michael Caine? How hard do you have to stamp down the first time to break somebody's arm? And so all of us have been Michael Caine getting ready to do it. But then on the other end of it, you have to be Kevin O'Callaghan waiting to have your own arm broken. Nobody in their right mind wouldn't pull their arm away. So true. It is. It's, it's horrible. I mean, of course, the weird thing is um, it kind of shouldn't have happened. No. Because Kevin O'Callaghan ends up in goal mm -hmm. because Laurie Sybil should have been in goal. Yeah but look more German than the available <laughs> German goalkeeper. So Laurie Sybil ends up being the German goalkeeper and, and, and the nippy winger O'Callaghan ends up as the keeper that re is replaced by Stallone. What is, what is brilliant about this scene and other scenes in this film is that, and what makes it one of the great football sports films ever, is that every so often it becomes serious. Yes. So when the three players arrive from Eastern Europe, the Slavic players, who have patently been starved, they've yep. been brought from concentration camps, it's a really serious moment in the film. It's a proper moment where you're going, actually, this is war. And it's very graphically yeah. done. I mean, lest, lest we forget, we mentioned him earlier. John Houston is, is yeah. no fool. You've got a top-notch director there going, yeah. all right, we can talk about football and we can make this film, but actually, I'm going to pull you out of that and, yeah. and just re make you remember this was in the, this is the height of the most horrific conflict Something in mankind's history. he would have been history. through, obviously, Absolutely. as a young man. Absolutely. So the, the Kevin O'Callaghan scene, which is arguably the most famous scene in the film, would have been something he'd have been very aware of. Yes. And he would have known to you literally use a break to snap you as the audience into it. Kevin O'Callaghan tells us about it. Obviously, I was a Millwall boy and I'd just gone to Ipswich. Well, Michael Caine, he was from the old Kent Road, wasn't he? He was Elephant and Castle. So he was really interested that I was a Millwall player. And uh, obviously, I'd, I'd done like the famous scene with him where he broke my arm, and uh, you know, I was so nervous doing that with him. But lucky enough, I'd done it in one take, so it was quite good. The football players act in you. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I think when you when you watch it again, I've watched it again recently. They're terrific. They they've all given everything, and they look like young men who are away together. Obviously, in a very different environment to being in a prisoner of war camp, but you get the sense that they've all had to go somewhere and behave in a certain way. Kevin O'Callaghan wasn't the only one to have a scene with Michael Caine, however. Here's former Ipswich defender Russell Osman. Pretty daunting when you suddenly realise you've got a one-on-one -on -one like this with somebody like Michael Caine. It was magnificent. He, he basically sat with us for about an hour just telling funny stories. And then more or less just said, right, OK, let's get this done. Bang, and recorded it. In, in the space of a couple of minutes and that was it. Now, it wasn't like that for everybody. No. Uh, nobody could feel any more disheartened than the Scottish footballing legend, John Walk, who is, in theory, in this scene. Here's your beds over here. I'll have a top one. Well, help yourself. First come, first serve. I'll take the bottom one. OK, that's a little one. Not bad, is it? It's like the Savoy Hotel. How would you know? Trust me, Johnny. John Walk was in there. <laughs> but here's what actually happened. When I first found out, like, I had two lines in the movie and I... I got dubbed. I actually found out when I went to the premiere, it was in Ipswich, about, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks after the the movie. I'm sitting watching it, and Eric Gates and Mr Brazil were sitting beside me, who went over there with us. So it suddenly came to my bit where I'm 
got my lines and suddenly I, s I look at it and I go, that's not my voice. And it's the worst thing I've ever said because as soon as I said it, Brazil and Gates were onto it and they let everybody <laughs> knew I had two lines and I was dubbed. Oh, <laughs> I've, listen, this has happened to me. I've been cut from a film once. I, I got cut from the whole film. I was the B plot and the director had to ring me up and say, I got a bit of bad news. I was thinking, oh God, he's dropped the seat or two. He's going, we've taken the whole You're B gone. plot out of the <laughs> It was a film with Mini Driver. At least you didn't have to sit next to two teammates oh. in the picture house for the privilege, though, John. Of course, we just heard about Alan Brazil there. Yes. Talksport breakfast host. One of the stars of that UEFA Cup winning side. But why was he absent? Well, Mark, we asked his oppo, the big screen footy film star, Ali McCoist, to find out why. Right, Al, I've got to go and ship Paula. We're all in it. All the top stars, Pelly, Bobby Moore, Ozzy, one or two of the Ipswich lads. It's a question, the burning question after 39, 40, but many, I don't know how many years it is. Where were you, pal? I, I just thought, we in, did they leave you in makeup? Well, I'll be, if I'm being honest, Ali, I watched that shot of glory and I thought, stick to what you're good at. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what I was, i tell you what I was. You won't believe this. I was in Budapest at the time, and that's where they shot the movie. So that was in the Hilton Hotel, Budapest. Just by chance? No, because I'd played against Poland and against Hungary for Scotland. It was wow. a two-game little mini tour, and then I heard all the boys were in um, the Hilton, so yeah. I shot over there, and they tried to get me to stay. They did try to get me to stay and be sure. in the film. So I'll tell you what happened. It was Angelica Houston. John Houston. Oh, you're stopped. throwing them in now. Man, oh, yeah. man and a half into it, you're throwing all sorts. Angelica Just pick up that name there, will you? And I'm not sure if... Uh, well, the boss seemed to know her very well, Bobby. And uh, anyway, he, he got a few of the lads together. And there was loads in over there. And um, they, they tried the hardest to get me to stay, but I just had to have the barnet cut off and all that. Do you regret uh, it? Yes. I know. I good when it comes on now, yeah. But I wanted to go back and see Joe. Yeah. Because I've been away for about three weeks. I get that. Don't look at me like that. No, no, I, I, I get don't. that. That's, and, um, that's, so, hey, that's the correct that's every, the answer. That's the answer Joe always wanted to hear. Every Christmas, I'm like, oh, I wish I'd have stayed, man. <laughs> There's a couple of gems in there. It's brilliant, isn't it? You know, it's Johnny, one of these, yeah. I've got to say, it's one of these movies I, I, I honestly firmly believe stands the test of time. Bless him. It's one of those ones where you go, oh, I should have just done it. I, I'm sure I, Jill I, wouldn't have minded going to a film premiere and seeing the old man up there. But it's interesting when he said about the barnet, how important the barnet was, yeah. that he didn't want his, have to get his hair cut and well, stuff. Well, because he had a sensational bunch of curly he hair did, at that he? stage, didn't he? He did, didn't he? No longer, by the way, <laughs> as it were. But, uh, yes, that's not there anymore. I thought a bit harsh on Ali and Shot of Glory. We, you and I talked to... Alan McCoyce, he was great talking about his experience working in that because, of course, it's so weird. A Scottish club football film yeah. starring Robert Duval as your manager. Yes, yes. And you're in the dugout next to him. Exactly. Uh, in fact, Mark, it happens to be the 20th anniversary of another popular football film, The Mean Machine. Aha! Starring then up-and-coming Hollywood action hero Vinnie Jones. Right. So we thought it would be a good idea to flip the coin to see what it was like being an actor playing a footballer and sat down with one of the stars of The Mean Machine, Omid Jalili. I was meant to be Pele because because there was there was these odd things going on, which was very to parallels with Escape to Victory was that there was a character who was trying to be Pele and was always practicing his overhead kicks and obviously can't do it in training. And then basically I, I, I was supposed to score the winning goal and it got taken away from me. But I have to say the training was amazing and it did get to a point. If, can you imagine as an actor 
and you've got an hour a day, someone's pinging over, a professional footballer's pinging over crosses, you've got a mat, and then you do, you do, and then they take the mat away, and you've got it, they say, we're going to send you 10, and unless you can score with six, you're not doing the scene. So it's high pressure. You've got Wally Downs shouting at you, come on, Ami, get yourself off the ground. And then when I did, when I did score with six, and some of them were beautiful, um, it, was, it, was, it was such a wonderful thing to actually be paid to train. So, yeah, that was... Uh, and the fact that the only thing you see in the film is me just missing, and I think they even put in a whistle like, yep, in the film. It, they really humiliate me in the film. And uh, I have to say, that was just... That, that, that's a memory that can never be taken away from me. Coming up next on this special programme here on TalkSport in the 40th anniversary of Escape to Victory, the cast reveal exactly what they think of the film Escape to Victory 40 years on. The fact that it's lasted this long and been so popular does make it, you know, a very special five weeks out of your life. Welcome to the final part of this special programme here on TalkSport. Escape to victory, the 40th anniversary mark. I'm Johnny Owen. And I'm Mark Webster. And we've been discussing the making of Escape to Victory and how it seems, John, to have taken on a life of its own across the decades. Yes. Despite, Mark, not exactly set in the box office on fire when it was released on the big screen in the summer of 1981. But big box office and a bunch of Oscars. It isn't everything, Mark, is it? It's not bad. It's not too bad. (laughs) All right, I'll give you that. Thank you. But sometimes, Mark, is love. (laughs) Pure, unquantifiable, beautiful love. Oh, that's beautiful. As described perfectly by our very own Escape to Victory superfan, the brilliant Danny Kelly. It is both a ritual and it's part of a cult now, isn't it? And one of the reasons for that, I think, is that the central theme, football... Because it's not really a film about war, is it? It's about the power of football. It doesn't go away. And so it's one of those films, I'm always going to like it because I like the actors involved, I know the footballers involved, and it's a football film with action in it. And I suspect that it's partly that, that because it's about football rather than, let's say, the war per se, that it's become almost a family film. But it it is a ritual because it's one of those things, a great film, and I'm using a small G here, but a great Mm. film is one... Uh, uh, that you can watch while being utterly familiar with each character, each line of dialogue and what's going to happen and still enjoy it flowing over you. And that's the thing, I think, a feeling that people get from Escape to Victory. If you go, we've all got to go with you. We can't go back without the goalie. If you hatch... Hat, please, Hat. That game means a lot to us. You know that. We must go back. Please. Let's go. We can win. Come on. Hat. If we run now, we lose more than a game. Please, Hat. We live in a world where sentimentality, never mind heroism, sentimentality is undervalued. Everything has to be cynical. Everything has to be knowing. Everything has to be questioning. The ends of films have to either be leaving you with a hanging question or be a disaster. There's nothing wrong with the slight sentimentality of the end of uh, Escape to Victory. There is a moment of real heroism and that is where they can escape at half-time, but they decide instead, um, as you know, with the, with the water going down the plug hole and the bath and all the rest of it, <laughs> they decide, no, we are going to stay and play this, this almost doomed football match in which the referee is giving us nothing. <laughs> We're already several goals behind, and our goalkeeper 
is an American of limited stature. <laughs> and they still decide that the good plan is to stay behind. We'll try and get away later, shall we? Johnny, you've written and starred in plenty of dramas and melodramas and comedies. Yes. And you've and you've given them that heartwarming ending. Yeah. Do, do you get the point he's making? It's it is the fact that you are left with that at the back end of the film. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing for me about this film, Mark, is it's two things. It's a football film, but it's about the war. Yeah. And there's one thing we're still obsessed by in this country, as we know, the war. Mm -hmm. um, and when you put an emotive subject like that in the middle of this film, then it's going to be a winner. And, and the ending is brilliant because, as Danny describes, they're, a match, they're in a match. They're not going to win. There's a bent referee. But come on, lads, let's go and give it one more go. Which is perfectly the perfectly British reaction, isn't it? Well, it's, not, it's not winning. It's the taking part. If, listen, I don't want to get too intellectually deep with this. But for me, the scriptwriter was very clever there. It was a kind of an analogy about the war. Yes. We were, we were, we were on the back foot. We were, we were heading for defeat. The Germans were obviously going to win. We hang on in there. We were plucky. And we ended up winning the war with the help of Russia and America, of yeah. course. But it's, it's, it's almost like a per perfect analogy of the history of the time itself. And that resonates on a subconscious yeah. level, I think. And I think we've all gone at the end of the film, yes, we win. Because the football pitch is telling the story of, of that entire war. Makes perfect sense. I wonder, though, what the cast members think 40 years on. John Walk! He may be 35 but he's still got a mean old eye for goal. My boy's lived off it for a long time, you know, my boy's 31 and he says, you know, all his mates and everywhere he goes, they always bring it up, you know, your dad. Not about what I've done in football, they always bring saying, your dad was in that famous movie. O'Callaghan here, Newcastle stretched again, and that's four! Someone will always say to me, oh, I watched the film last night, and blah, 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 and, or how's, how's your arm, is your arm all right? You know, I'm always getting that. It's just massive. I mean, it was just took on a, a life of its own, this film, you know. Everyone's seen it. Yeah, we didn't realise at the time when you're doing it, we were young and naive and we didn't realise what we were doing, you know. And he's there again and lost it. Some of me! Well, I think it's quite amazing, you know. I mean, I've, you know, people tell me in the streets that sometimes they stop, you know, all the shapes of pictures on your stage, you see it. It's a proper film for people to watch, and with the people in it, it's an interesting film for people who like sport and like a little bit of adventure and a bit of fun in it. Here's Osman this time, and it's gone in! You know, to work with John Houston, Freddie Fields, with Michael Caine and, and Stallone, along with, you know, Bobby Moore and Mike Summerby and Pele Ardiles, to, to work with people like that on a project, it, it, it was fantastic, and for it to remain in people's minds uh, 40 years down the line. It does make it, you know, a very special sort of five weeks out of your life. Do you know what's interesting about that, Johnny? Is that if, I guess, you know, if you've not had that experience, if you've not been in a film before, you wouldn't necessarily know that the idea of these things can last a lifetime, indeed lifetimes. But then again, we're talking about men who are still remembered for winning a, a, a tournament. Yes. 40 plus years on. Yes. Amazing. It's amazing. I mean, there are moments in sort of uh, popular culture history. Let's, let's say for argument's sake, uh, The Velvet Underground's first album sold poorly, poorly reviewed, but a hugely influential album. Yeah. Influenced everybody from Bowie, who came later, The Pistols. And there's a famous saying about that, that everybody that bought that album formed a band. And this film is one of those films, I think, that everybody watched the film from our generation, remember it fondly, yeah. and still talk about it uh, in, a, in a very specific way. It's the kind of film where you sit down on a Sunday afternoon and you could, your son, grandson, 
granddaughter, daughter, all sit and watch this film and really enjoy it. It's got top, top actors, Hollywood A-list actors, mm -hmm. some of the greatest footballers that have ever played the game and one of the greatest directors. What's not to love about that? God, I love that. And you talk about sitting down watching a film as a family. You People sit down and watch Oliver. Yes. One of the greatest Great films film. ever made. Unbelievable. Lionel Bart yeah. writes a musical about a book that Charles Dickens wrote yeah. many, many decades before. Yes. But you don't say, well, that feels old. No. Charles Dickens' story isn't old. Lionel Bart's interpretation isn't old. I don't think it works like that, does it? It's a big circle the backdrop, that these come You're into. Right. The exactly. backdrop is the war. Yeah. As we just said earlier, the most emotive subject in the British psyche. Make a film about that. Put footballers in there. Yeah. And, you know, we've got to talk about this. You know, this is in this modern era. Can you imagine trying to get the insurance on these footballers? How difficult to do a film like this? You know, you've got some of the most high profile footballers on the planet playing in Hungary in a film for a few weeks. They couldn't have imagined that people would be talking about it 40 years later. But actually, when you think of it and you, and, and you step back, you, you did think to yourself, actually, there's a lot going on in this film. It's got great actors, it's a great story, and there's great footballers. It's fully loaded, yes. which is possibly why for the last few years, and it's a really interesting point you make, it's been discussed that there'd be a remake of the remake. We said at the very top of the show, this was an interpretation of a 1961 film made in Hungary. Yeah. We get the 1981 version that is still with us now. Yeah. Another version of this... Given where football has gone as a as a global sport, and the fact that that they are known globally because yeah. of availability across everyone's tellies on the entire planet, <laughs> could they do that again with similar superstars? Well, I mean, Gareth Bale could be in there because he's Welsh. I mean, you'd have to sort of make a story up like they did for Pele with uh, Ronaldo and Messi, maybe. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, listen, for me personally, I mean, listen, take a lesson here. Two great. Kane films, the Italian job and Alfie, leave them alone. Which people didn't. Exactly. So learn <laughs> to your lesson. Their shame and <laughs> learn your lesson. There's another Michael film, Michael Kane film, which is almost perfect in so many ways. Leave it alone. Yeah. But you know what? I hate to be the kind of voice going, stop it, because any film is good. People trying to make it. But my own personal opinion would be this is as near to perfect as you can get of a film about the Second World War and football and how football could be used as a force for good and to win. And you can sit and watch that with your kids, your grandkids, Absolutely. and till kingdom come and God bless it for another 40 years. So there you have it. They think it's all over, but 40 years on, an escape to victory is still going strong. And good luck to you, guys. In anoraks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.